Well, good morning. I also want to welcome you here. My name is Reg Taves. I'm the transitional lead pastor here at Forest Grove Community Church, and it's my privilege and joy to welcome you to Atteridge and those of you who are online who are watching. It's just great for us to gather together and to worship God. Those songs were so meaningful to me. I had to stop because it's like I'm going to just blow my voice up before I even have a chance to talk this morning, Uh, but just... um, I trust moved by the Spirit of God and being open to receive what he has for us this morning. We're continuing in our series in the book of Acts and we're exploring, excuse me, God's work through a movement called the church. So I don't like to see church as an organization. I love to talk about it as a movement. So yes, is there organization in the church? Yes, there is. But it is a movement that is empowered and guided by God's Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at Stephen, a man who spoke out about Jesus and ended up paying for it with his life, and yet this movement of God continued to expand, even though he gave his life, and we're going to look at that. There's a brief comment going to be in the text we're going to look at. The word that comes to mind throughout this week, and as I wrote in our newsletter, is the word faith. Faith in God, not faith in ourselves, not faith in something else something that, that's in this world, but something that is bigger than this world, faith in God. It's a faith that recognizes that God is aware and active then, and he's aware and he's active today. Do you believe that? Is he aware and active today? He is, and I want you to know that. We all put our faith in something. Sometimes we put our faith in people, or science, or money, or ourselves. And I want you to know that God calls us to put our faith in Him. He is the one who is dependable. Money and science and people will always let us down. Always. But God, God is the one who gives us faith. And faith leads to moving forward in life. As we begin 2023, it might be that you're feeling, maybe you're feeling kind of stuck. Like, what's 2023? We've been through a pandemic. We're on our way out. As far as I'm concerned, we're out out of it, but we're in this new phase of now, what is life going to look like? And I want to encourage us to say, where am I going to put, where are you going to put your faith moving forward? How's it going to move you forward? The only way I see it in my life, and I know in yours, is through putting faith in God. And faith in God alone. So as we continue into this story of the growth of the church, of this movement, we'll see people who live by faith. You just read the stories and you just go, like, why would they respond in this particular way? So if you have your Bibles or an app, if you would turn to Acts chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 1 to 25 today. And Luke, who is the writer... Uh, is the one who is exploring all, gathering these stories, and he's writing them for us so that we have it and we can be reminded of what's taken place in the past. It is a written, living history, and God's word is a living, active word. So let's read this first. I'm going to do it in chunks this morning. I'm not going to read the whole text. I'm just going to read it in small snippets, and we're going to go through it as we do that. So Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And I'm going to start sort of just a smidge below Acts 8.1, so about 8.1b. 
On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. As we look at this text this morning, this, this first three verses is really Luke saying, I'm going to sum up some things and point us forward. There's a foreshadowing of what's going to take place. What I want you to notice from these first three verses is that persecution or opposition does not stop God's work. Opposition does not stop God's work. We talked about that last week. I just can't, it, this, this text will, and, and throughout Acts, we're just going to continue to see that. There's opposition, there's opposition, there's opposition. Opposition does not stop God's work. And that's why I, I would say I put my faith in God. Because no matter what, he, his plan and his purposes are going to be done in the face of opposition or not. Note that the church is scattered as the, person, as the persecution grew. And I would say to you this morning, scattering has these consequences. And often you think about that, and if you read that, that phrase that's on the screen, you may go, well, that sounds negative. But consequences can actually be positive. There's good consequences that take place. God uses this scattering to expand the movement of the church. The movement begins to grow. Because Jesus said, and they would be reminded over and over again, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Let's just pause there for a minute. So in Jerusalem is where they were. Now all of a sudden, they're being scattered. And so Jesus' command was in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we begin to see the outpouring and the outworking of exactly what Jesus called his disciples to do as we look at this particular text today. What was meant for destruction of the church, God used for expansion. Every challenge is an opportunity. Stephen, as we see, was put to death in the text before us, and now it just talks... Luke just sort of brings that to a closure and says that Luke, who was a, a man who was honored, was given a proper burial. Luke had, in, or Stephen, I should say, Stephen had influence and impact even in death. Sometimes we think, you know, life is over, there's no impact. It's like, no, there is lots of impact. There's lots of influence that takes place after death. He was given a proper burial, even though in that culture, under the circumstances of his death by stoning, he would have been never be provided that. So his influence carried forward after his death. The foreshadowing that Luke gives us here is also pointing to Saul and his desire to see this movement which he would seen as an apostasy from his Jewish faith. And Saul just had, was very passionate, but he was passionate about the wrong things. This would just be sort of a side note, but we too can get passionate about things that are not in line with God's desire for us or his plan for the world. And so we need to always make sure we take our passion, our desire, our purpose, and go, God, I want to continually ask you, is this the direction and what I need to be doing? How I need to be living? The way I need to be thinking? Because we can get off. We can get off base. I get that. God calls us to continue to follow him. Well, let's read the next section. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 to 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 
Philip went down to a city in Samaria, proclaiming, uh, proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. As these people were scattered, as they left, they didn't go out and hide. You see, their lives had been so transformed by the work of Jesus that they couldn't be quiet about it. They were so moved that they couldn't just say nothing. They continued to talk about why they were where they were. And it wasn't, poor me, this is what's happening. It was, I am here because Jesus has sent me. So scattering didn't stop the sharing of the gospel. It actually encouraged it. Now you may have a question this morning, who is this Philip? Philip is not the apostle. This Philip is one of the seven deacons who was to serve the widows, much like Stephen. So Philip was the evangelist, and he became known as Philip the evangelist, and we're going to see his story a few more times. Philip's faith and belief in Jesus was not diminished In the midst of persecution, his faith actually grew. See, faith is something that actually grows when we need it the most. When we absolutely desire or find that we are lacking faith is when we actually can see faith develop in us as we invite and ask God to lead us. Opposition is when faith is activated. And when we go through hard times, we can choose to give up or to act in faith. Why Samaria? Philip went to Samaria. This group came from the intermarriage of Israelites and those living in the land following the return of Israel after the conquest. That actually they were half-Jews, so they were not accepted by the Jewish faithful. But during the deportation by the Assyrians, which happened in 722 BC, these people intermarried. And so they weren't accepted, so they began to develop their own faith, so they were still worshiping the same God the Jews would, but they had to find a new place, so they created their own place of worship. And they were not accepted by the Jewish community. So Philip, in going to them, was beginning to fulfill what I just read about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So I don't know if Philip was thinking about what Jesus had said, whether he was taught, or whether he just went. And I would suggest to you he went because he was guided by the Holy Spirit to go to that location, and so he went. And what we see in verses 6 and 7 is a proclamation in power. So as Philip shared the good news of the Messiah, there were signs and wonders. One of the greatest of those was the casting out of demons. There is a spiritual battle that is going on. When people saw the power of Jesus being shown, they embraced Jesus. And the result of this, in verse 8, we see was of joy. So these people, as we've, we've sung this morning about being bond, uh, coming out of bondage, leaning into freedom, is as they experienced this freedom, there was a response of joy. And we see it even in the early church. In Acts chapter 2, it says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That sounds like joy to me. Praising God, that sounds like joy to me. Enjoying, there's joy, the favor of all the people. See, when people, when you and I come to and live out our faith in Jesus, we are filled with joy. That doesn't mean we're also filled with happiness. 
That doesn't mean we have the, a continual smile on our face, but it means that we have this expectation of something better. Even now, there's always that expectation of something better. God has something new, fresh, he wants to give us. Well, let's look at the next section, Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 13, and now we get into a, a particular person who's in Samaria. Now for some time, a man named Simon was practicing sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Simon was this man who was going around deceiving people. He was using sorcery, witchcraft, uh, magical arts to lead people astray. Interesting, they were calling him the great power of God. So they realized there was something outside of Simon that was active here. And I would suggest to you that we need to understand, even today, that there is a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual battle going on here. So we, we read this text and we read it in order. They come to faith in the Messiah, the Jesus. And then there is a battle that is being set up with Simon and others. And it should give us a perspective on a spiritual battle that is taking place in our world. There's this spiritual aspect to our world that I think we're becoming more aware of in the Western world, but the Eastern culture has understood for years and years and years. Our indigenous friends and brothers and sisters have understood it forever, that there is a spiritual aspect to our world. Jesus writes words in Luke that are in relation to the spiritual, and let me read those for you. In Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is quoting Isaiah 61. And here he's saying, look at these items. And I would suggest to you, a number of them are actually spiritual. Freedom for prisoners is certainly practical, but there's also this sense of freedom from a spiritual bondage. To set those oppressed free, it describes a freedom from a spiritual work. In our world today, we have a lot of bondage out there. We have people who are in bondage to drugs, people who are in bondage to porn, people who are in bondage to... You name it. And we think that, well, if we can just solve this problem by doing something really practical, not to say we shouldn't be doing those, but I would like to suggest to you this morning that actually there's a spiritual work here. And spiritual work starts with spiritual work. And Philip is in the midst of this. Let me go on and give you an example. Luke writes about an action of Jesus, so after Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, and he says, this has been fulfilled in your presence. He does this in later on in Luke chapter 4, and it'll come up on the screen. In the synagogue that day, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He crowed out at the top of his voice, go away. 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are. With authority and power he gives order to impure spirits and they come out. What this tells us and what it shows us even in Acts chapter 8 is that Jesus has authority in the spiritual realm. We need to be aware of that. Philip is not doing all of this out of his own strength or his own power. All of this is guided by the Holy Spirit. The power of Jesus is being seen in very practical and even very spiritual ways. You see, the spiritual forces are real and are aware. In James chapter 2, he says, believe that there is one God. He says, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, the dark spiritual forces know who Jesus is. And he has authority over them. The focus, as we look at this text, was on, on Simon. And the focus for him was on himself. Notice that in this situation, it was Simon getting the accolades. And I point out that because when you look at Philip preaching about Jesus... Philip is putting the focus on Jesus and not on himself. Jesus is the one to get the glory when lives are transformed. You can always tell a false prophet by someone who is saying it's about them. Someone who is truly following Jesus is going to point everything to Jesus. He gets the glory. He gets the accolades because he is where the power is found. Paul writes to us in Romans 10, 9 and 10, he says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. I would suggest to you that word saved is not a one-time event doesn't mean that we need to continually come to God and ask for us to be part of the family, but it's recognizing that we all need salvation on a regular basis. There are things we need to be released from. There are bondages in our lives that Jesus is saying, I would love to, to handle that. I'd love to carry that. I'd love to release you from that. I'm here to proclaim freedom for the oppressed. You see, Jesus is Lord. And there is this declaration of his power and authority. We had, uh, when our kids were younger, they, uh, they often had night terrors. Any of you have kids that have had night terrors? You understand what that's like? It's crazy. Like, it's, it was, so we would have, I just remember our son particularly having night terrors. He'd wake up at like, you know, put him to bed at 7. He gets, wakes up at 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock. And he's just screaming. Just screaming. And so you come and you comfort him and you, you know, you try to figure out what is it he needs. And as our kids got older, we, we began to say to them, when you woke up with fear or with something going on, we said, we, we taught them, we said, you need to say out loud, because they had received Jesus into their life, but we said, you need to say out loud, Jesus, I need you. Just that simple two words, Jesus, two or three words, Jesus, 
Okay, forwards. Jesus, I need you. I can't count this morning, all right? That's why I don't do the books. Somebody else does the books. I just talk. But it's this idea of turning to God. I, I remember one time I was in, I was in Thailand, and uh, was, there was a missions team, and I was staying for a bit longer. The team had gone home. I was staying for another week to do some training. And, uh, as, and I said, they had put us up in this really nice hotel. And I went to the, the missionary and said, don't ever do that again. I don't want to be in a nice hotel. I said, I want our teams to have the experience of what's life like in Thailand. So I said, so I'm staying for another week. So I said, I want you to put me up in a Thai hotel, a hotel where only Thais would stay. And they said, okay, there's this big hotel. There's floors that are, this is, these are Thai floors, and then there's the North American or the, you know, the foreigners' floors. So I said, put me up in this floor. So we're in the, I'm in this floor. It's like, okay, no, no running hot water. I mean, all the water's warm, but no running hot water, um, basic, simple, straightforward. But I'm there, and one night, I have this, in, I mean, intense feeling that somebody just walked into my room. And it's like, no, there's, there's nobody in my room. And I realized at that moment, it is a spiritual force that came into my room. And I did exactly what I told our kids. Jesus, I need you. And I prayed a whole lot more. But the minute I said, Jesus, I need you, in my spirit, I had complete freedom. Complete freedom. It's a spiritual battle, folks. We don't, we're not in tune to it, and we need to wake up to it and go, not be afraid of it. There's no fear here, because we, we, we know who we follow. If you follow Jesus, there shouldn't be fear. If you don't follow Jesus, then yeah, maybe there should be some caution and some concern in your life. But, but Philip, as he's here and he's teaching, he's now having this interaction with Simon. So a spiritual, a person who's using spiritual forces, and they're having this interaction. Let's look at the next section, verses 14 to 17. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now you may wonder, why is it happening in this order? And I think God just has this amazing, perfect plan. You see, if they would have received the Holy Spirit, if the apostles would not have come, there could have been already a schism in the church. And so the apostles come, and they pray over them, and there's this spiritual confirmation that we see in verses 14 to 17. Because they see that these people have truly come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the church is now united. And united believers, they're united through the Holy Spirit. So there's this unity by the Holy Spirit in verses 15 to 17. The Holy Spirit is given while Peter and John were there. They could now attest to God's work and go back to Jerusalem and share what they had experienced. So the church could continue to grow and be united through the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the last section, Acts chapter 8, verses 18 to 24. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. 
Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. So in this text, we see Peter speaking directly to Simon. And Simon has seen what can happen through the power of the Holy Spirit, and he simply wants to capitalize on it. I don't know if it's just sort of a, 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 a kind of a naive response. Don't know, but he says, can I buy the gift? Well, you know that you can't, you don't, you buy gifts for other people. You don't buy it, well, you shouldn't buy a gift for yourself, right? If God gives you a gift, you don't say to God, can I pay for this? Because God says, no, it's free. It's a free gift. I, I give it to you. In the same way, the gift of the Holy Spirit was a free gift. They didn't have to pay for it. And this is, this is something that's important for us to understand. And as the leaders of the church, as we think about the spiritual confrontation and the confusion, uh, I just want you to be aware that the leaders of the church take that seriously. The staff members here do. The council members here at Forest Grove do. Like They, they take seriously this warning about we want to make sure that the gift of the spirit the gift of jesus is a gift it's not something you earn and so i am reminded and i remind myself of this in first peter 5 2 it says be shepherds of god's flock that is under your care watching over them not because you must but because you are willing as god wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain but eager to serve I mean, that is the calling of leadership. That is the calling of leadership in the church. That's the calling of leadership among staff. It's a calling of leadership with counsel. And I would hope that it is the calling of leadership no matter where you serve, that you were there to serve and put people first. I see that in the leaders here at Forest Grove. They serve willingly, not for their own benefit. And we are right now discerning people for counsel. So pray for the, those who are discerning, who are doing this work of discernment. Pray for them. I encourage you to do that. Peter now confronts Simon. And he's, there's this call to repent. He says, Simon, you've got, you've got it wrong. One of the commentaries uh, you know, says, to hell with your money is the way this should be written. And they really mean it. Like, this is, this is evil stuff. Like, this is, don't go there. We don't need this. Peter is direct, and yet he provides a way forward. He says, this is what you need, repent and pray. If we wonder about in our own lives, what does it mean for us to move forward in faith? I believe the first step is a step of repentance. It's all over Scripture. Just read the teachings of Jesus. It's all over. What does, that, what does repentance mean? It means I agree with God. That my behavior, my thoughts, what's going on, that those things are actually not in alignment with him. And, so that's the first thing I've got to say, yeah, this is messed up. And then the next thing I need to say is, and I want it to change. And Jesus is the one who helps me do that change. The Holy Spirit is the one who steps in and helps me do that change. So Simon is asked to repent, to, to, to turn and put his faith in Jesus alone. For God to change his, and it's very specific, his heart of bitterness and free him from captivity to sin. It points actually to Deuteronomy 
way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 29, 18, where it says, Make sure no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Make sure there is no root among you that produces such bitter poison. See, when we turn away from God and start looking at other things, it actually gives us a root of bitterness, a poisonous root that actually takes us away from God and actually puts us back into bondage. So we need to be focused on him. So there's the response in verse 24 of Simon's, it seems like, his repentance. And that's really the last that we hear of Simon. But there's a turning. We don't know exactly how his life was transformed. But we don't hear of him again. So now, even as Peter and John, you look at verse 25, after Peter and John had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. So even as Peter and John are heading back to Jerusalem, they share the good news with more Samaritan people. They're realizing this message isn't just for Jewish people. This is for Samaritan people. And we'll find out as we go through the book of Acts, it's actually this message is for you and I. Those of us who are not Jewish, not Samaritan. More people hear of Jesus We don't hear about the response. We don't know how they responded to the gospel, but that's not our work. That's the Holy Spirit's work. We just share the good news. Well, in closing this morning, what do we do with this text? I want to encourage us this morning that we need to put our faith in Jesus alone. Last week I talked about distractions. Sometimes we're distracted. We put our faith in other things. So this morning as you sit here, as you watch online, you think about this, what am I putting my faith in? What am I putting my faith in? Am I putting my faith in Jesus alone? You see, belief in Jesus means there's a change of heart, which is internal, A change of behavior, which is external. You don't just change the heart and nothing happens externally. Those two things are connected. If we're going to be holistic, whole people, what happens in our heart is what's going to come out in our behavior. So this morning as you think, I just want to to call us to a place of repentance this morning. What is it that we're putting our faith in? Even as a church, you know, it's so easy as an organization, and now I'm not talking about the movement, okay? I'm talking about us here in this room and others. Uh, We can become so enamored with organizations that we lose sight of our faith is really in Jesus. We lose our perspective on why are we here? We need to answer, we need to keep the why right in front of us. I look, at, I look at the spread of the gospel. Philip leaves under opposition. What does he do? He goes right into another place and just keeps preaching. Why? Because Jesus has transformed his life. So as Jesus has transformed our lives, are we willing to say, I, I just want to continue to give myself fully to him? What are the things that are distracting and taking me away from that? So we're going to have a time in, in just a moment just to be quiet For you to talk to God. God is in this room, not because this building houses God. It doesn't. But God is housed in us. And he is everywhere at all times. So God is here. 
And he actually wants to hear from you. And he would be saying to you and to me this morning, my child, this is what you need to repent of today. This is how you need to turn and face me. So we're going to do that in just a minute. It could be a repentance toward being independent or selfish. or um, I mean, I remember hearing the Zatera twins preach, and they, they really landed everything highly on pride. And just to explore that, where's my pride actually getting in the way of what God wants to do in me? I've got to figure it figured out, but I need him. So that, well, that's where we're going. And then the second thing I would say as we close this morning is to see opposition as an opportunity. I want to call us as a, as a group to pray for our city. Would we pray for, would we commit to pray for our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends, our family members? That's what God calls us to, and he sends us out, just like he sent out Philip. So I'm going to call on the worship team at this time if they would come. and I'm going to invite you right now just to bow your heads. We're not going to sing right away, but just to bow your heads and just spend this time in repentance asking God this simple thing, what is it that I need to turn and face you about? Where am I not putting my faith in you? And God, help me to put my faith in you first. Let me pray for us. Father, as we look at this text, as we look at text throughout Scripture, you call us to be people who continually live in repentance because you give us freedom and you give us life in the midst of that repentance. Lord, thank you that you have given us your Son, Jesus. You've given us your Holy Spirit. Lord, this morning, my heart, my prayer is that each of us, that communally, we would say, Jesus, we put our faith in you and you only. You are the only one who's dependable. You are the only one that transforms us. So Lord, as we do, we just quieten our hearts to you. Speak to us. Lord, minister to us in this room, in this space. 